Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. I am Rob King, and I'm really glad that you're with us as we attempt to finish the second letter that the Apostle Peter wrote. We're on chapter 3, and we were going to go verses 11 through 18. We made it all the way to verse 14 the last episode, so we're starting off on verse 14. Just to give you a little bit of a reminder of where we're at, this letter is written to dispersed believers, the first letter that the Apostle Peter wrote was as he was encouraging them that through their suffering, they could still live on a path of of victory in Christ. And so he was encouraging them. And then this letter is written to the same group of believers and, of course, to us as well, inspired by the Holy Spirit and really about uh, helping them kind of ward off false teachers. And in this last portion of this last chapter of his last letter of his life, about a year, we think, before he died, martyred as Jesus predicted he would be, he's focusing in on the false teaching that was apparently something he was dealing with at the time in the church where they, the false teachers, denied the second coming of Christ. And so we've been thinking about the second coming of Christ and what the Apostle Peter, what the Lord God has revealed about the end times and what he wants us to think about the end times. So we jump right into verse 14, right into verse 14. So the Apostle Peter goes on, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Since you're looking for, in other words, you'd have to go back to what we read before. You're looking forward to uh, the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return. And since you are, be diligent to be found in him, by him, in peace. This is a common theme. The Apostle Peter, where he's telling us to look for something, to be expected, and then to be diligent, to be expectant, and then to be diligent about it. Be diligent about being in peace and staying in peace. This peace refers to the peace of mind that comes when you have confident faith in the Lord Jesus. When you know that your eternity is secure because of the work of Christ, you have peace. When you know it all depends on Christ and He's always going to come through. When He's the one that called you and He's the one that saved you, He's the one that's sanctifying you, you can have peace. There's no greater peace than that you would experience the grace of God in your life and be reconciled to Him. There's nothing that compares in this world to be reconciled with God. You put your head on your pillow at night knowing, I have been reconciled with God by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I think it's Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. His banner over me is love. This is why the Apostle Paul would so often write grace and peace to you. Because there was a connection. When you've experienced the grace of God, you have the peace of God. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Not like the world gives you do I give you, but I give you my peace. My peace I give to you. See, the peace that Jesus had on the earth was obviously a right relationship with the Father at a level we couldn't even comprehend because Jesus Christ is part of the Trinity. He is deity. But then Jesus being again the propitiation or replacement for our sins, has reconciled us to God. And and by His grace has allowed us to have peace with God. And when you have peace with God, 
you have peace in your heart and in your mind that you could not produce on your own. I think what he means most of all here is to say, stay in this confident peace of mind, knowing that you can completely trust Jesus with everything in your life. You've entrusted your soul to Him. You can entrust your eternity to Him. In light of all the things in the future that are held by Christ, it should be easy for us to let Him hold us. In light of everything in the future that's in His hands, we are in His hands also. We can trust Him. Again, this is where the Apostle Paul wrote, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And that the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a peace that your mind can't even comprehend. It's a peace that no matter what you're going through, you have Christ in you, the hope, the hope of glory. And he's guarding your heart and mind. He goes on in this passage and says, That we should be spotless and blameless. This is another theme. I mean, when thinking of the second coming and being ready for Christ's return, what, what more do we want to be than to be found in Him, doing His will and doing His work when He comes? Not just spotless, but also blameless. In other words, He's commanding us to manifest the highest levels of integrity and personal holiness. Be holy as I am holy, Scripture says. This would go against some of the false teachers in the Apostle Peter's day, that the Gnostics, for example who some would have taught uh, and thought that there was a separation of spirit and body, for example, so that you could do whatever you wanted with your body and it wouldn't affect your spirit. Seems like a pretty convenient way to get around the conviction of any kind of, uh, you know, something on the inside telling you that's wrong. You can just absolutely get away from that with that kind of teaching. But instead of that, the Apostle Peter says no, I want you to be spotless and blameless. That's in your thoughts, your actions, your conduct. I want you to be holy as the Lord is holy. And this ties into what the Apostle Peter is saying, uh, that the promise of Christ's return is, is a really potent incentive for us to live a holy life. That makes sense. He goes on to say, uh, to regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. In other words, Regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. What does that mean? Well, the Apostle Peter doesn't want us to wait on the Lord's return while doing nothing just by sitting and twiddling our thumbs, spiritually speaking. I suppose there will be some who may be tempted to say, well, the Lord Jesus is coming back. We'll just wait for his return and do nothing. No, no. The Apostle Peter here is encouraging us to continue in ministry for the Lord because he's delaying his return for that very reason. What? In order to save his elect. So, in other words, we as believers in Christ should think of Christ, the fact that he hasn't come back right now, this is just patience, he's doing his work. And waiting on his return is an opportunity, a window of opportunity to do the work that he's called us to do to bring all those that he's called into salvation. This is why we've got to be involved in the local church. The local church is God's means by which he does his work. This is where we serve. This is where we, we use the, the, the gifts that the Spirit has empowered us to, to bless other people, encourage other people, edify the church. This is where we do that. This is why we must be actively involved in loving one another and caring for one another, using our gifts in the body of Christ. We do all of these things, not for what we can get out of them, but, but, but we're looking forward to Christ's return. We want to be doing His work. 
Not busy for busyness's sake, busy for the best reason, which is, I want to be serving God. I want to be edifying and blessing His church. I want to be about the Father's business. When He comes back, He'd find me about what He's about. And this, we're reminded of the story of the uh, parable, uh, rather, of the uh, prodigal son. I almost escaped me there. The prodigal son. In that parable, Jesus tells this story. It's a story that he made up, emphasizing the patience of the father as the son is all wayward. Now, the story of the prodigal son is, of course, more about the father than it is the son, because we all, like sheep, have gone astray and each to our own way. That's not a unique story to any person. But what is unique, by the way, the level of your depravity is not make the story unique. I mean, I I could, you know, my story of salvation is your story of salvation. It's not about us. It's about a God who goes and finds his people. It's he's the one that provides the miracle. He's the one that provides the sacrifice. He's the one with all of the love and the holiness and purity. We're just different levels of dumb. (laughs) and different, well, if there's different levels of depraved, I don't know, but we are not the point of the story. We are not the point of the story. The glory of God is the point of the whole thing, and and he made it all, and he's in it all, and at the end of it all, we're going to all worship him. He's the one worthy of glory. Okay, I got off on a little tangent there. What's unique about the story is to imagine a father in that agricultural setting that the story that Jesus told it would have been pictured wearing common outfit. I'm trying to think of what this, like a robe, a robe. And he would have to hike up his robe. I want to use a biblical phrase right now that, that they say, gird up your loins, which in biblical terms mean hike up your robe, pull the bottom of your robe up. So even men who had this long garment on, if you can imagine a middle-aged man hiking up his robe and running towards the sun, that is, is the picture that Jesus paints that's the, the, the most difficult for those Jewish listeners to even hear. A middle-aged father running, but he's running because he loves the son. And this wayward son, the father bestows on him all of this treasure when he comes back. He lavished him with gifts. It's a beautiful picture of the plan. This is the plan of God, even at the end of the world. The father is now being patient, the apostle Peter is saying. He's being patient so that many sons and daughters will come to him, so that he'll be able to lavish upon them the love that he has for them. So so the apostle Peter here is saying, hey, we're to regard his delay as an opportunity. He's patient. He wants to see all of his elect come to salvation. So here again, the mindset of the believers, this is what Peter wants to impact us with. The mindset of a believer should be one who is not only looking for the imminent return of Christ, but also one who has engaged their own heart, soul, mind, and strength in serving him and his will, which is about the salvation of the lost. One thing I like to pray, and I I try to pray most days, is that the Lord would just continue to give me opportunity to share Christ with those around me. They so desperately need Him. I know that's your prayer too. Why? We want to be working. Today is the day of salvation. What does that mean? That means this period that we're in right now in human history is the last opportunity for salvation. Until the day of the Lord, this is the day. It's one long day. God doesn't see time, right? It's one long day for salvation. And we got to work while it's day. Let us work while it is light. Let us work before the second coming of Christ, before it is too late. Salvation 
of the Lord. His, his delay is his patience because he's doing a work in the earth. Now, the Apostle Peter switches gears here just a little bit and talks about some doctrine as he says, Now, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of, of these things, and which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Okay, so what's he saying here? In other words, the Apostle Peter is going to tell us some, some warnings, some warnings that Paul also gave. He, he calls Paul our beloved brother Paul. Now, Peter and Paul knew each other, obviously, did ministry at the same time, um, even though Paul uh, only saw Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul didn't hang out with Jesus in ministry. He was Saul, and he was persecuting Christians, and he met Jesus on the road. But the Apostle Peter obviously was with Jesus. Paul came at one point and confronted Peter to his face. Because Peter was being a hypocrite and behaving in one way with the Jews, another way with the Gentiles. And although Paul sternly rebuked him in front of others, we can see that the Apostle Peter didn't take it personally. He wasn't offended at Paul, but instead he, he obviously humbly received that correction. He repented. He took that from him and then honored him and even went so far as to indicate that the writings that, that Paul wrote were equal to Scripture, which we know now. The Apostle Peter is giving his endorsement of Paul's writings. I think this is a pretty fascinating little part of Scripture. And he's, he's honoring the Apostle Paul's writing. And then Peter acknowledges that there are some things that Paul wrote that were hard to understand. I'm so glad he said that because if you've studied Romans, you know that's true. You're not going to get that in the first reading. It's just like, oh, this is simple. This is just like a comic book. No, it is not. It is not. It needs to be studied. Paul wrote that there were Paul wrote things that were hard to understand, not impossible to understand, beloved. I'm reminded that the apostle John wrote the book of Revelation and it says so that you would understand. This is just maybe a good opportunity for me to remind us that scriptures were meant to be understood. They have to be studied, they have to be taught in order to be understood. This is how so many false teachers get uh, people, you know, kind of led astray. And this is, this is the point of this passage. One of the points of this passage is false teachers will always pretend to have some secret knowledge about the Bible that God has personally spoken to them about. Some deeper revelation or deeper understanding or worse yet, a new revelation about Scripture that's unique to them and their teaching. Beloved, listen, if any teacher among us ever lifts themselves up to a place of spiritual prominence that makes it appear that they are somehow more anointed, more touched by God, more graced by God, more loved by God, or have some deeper hidden knowledge because of their own great spirituality and just closeness to God, this is a sign that we need to run, run, run from that teacher. Many of us have been around the church for many years, and I've seen this happen so many times, I almost don't even think about it now when I, when I see it, of course. But now that we're studying the Apostle Peter, I'm thinking about it more uh, often now. But just think about it with me for a minute. When you hear a preacher or a teacher 
tell you that God told me this and God spoke to me that. God said, write this down. This is going to be really good. I've actually heard a preacher say that. I would just ask you, do you feel equal to that person in spirituality? Or do you feel less than that person in spirituality? Don't you, don't you feel like you need to somehow aspire to be them? Or, 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 you know, man, I wish my walk with God was like, like that. I wish God spoke to me every morning that I had coffee, which, by the way, he does. I, it's, I call it reading scripture. If you want to hear God's voice, read his word. If you want to hear his audible voice, read it out loud. Is this what the Lord Jesus wants? Does he want us to look to people? Does he want us to look to men as if they're somehow closer to Jesus, these important anointed people? I mean, yes, we honor the teachers among us that we know, our pastors, our elders, no doubt about it. But they are our brothers, and that's it. Jesus said, Jesus literally dealt with this. This is the same spirit. He said, don't call anybody father. You have one father who is in heaven. Jesus meant that. For all of us are equal at the foot of the cross. Jesus is preeminent. The Father, the Holy Spirit, we are to worship God, but we are not to worship one another. The pastor's job is to teach the scriptures, to point to Christ, not to teach themselves and point to themselves. Why in the world would we point to ourselves? <laughs> Sojourners, strugglers along the way, right? No, no, that's, that's not the point. If God has revealed his holy word in scripture, we don't need to hear personal words from people. We really don't. So the Apostle Peter is saying that some of these things are difficult to interpret that Paul wrote, but no doubt, but they can be interpreted. They can be understood. But the complexities of some of his teaching then open the door for these false teachers to distort the word of God. So they come in and instead of teaching what the word of God says, they distort it to say what they want it to say according to their own lusts. They're unstable and they're untaught and they twist the scriptures. You know, in order for a lie to be most believable, it needs a whole lot of truth. The more truth you can pack into that lie, the more believable that lie. So they take the scriptures themselves and twist them just like Satan did when he was tempting Jesus. He used the scriptures, the enemy of our soul, used the scriptures with the Son of God. And he was no match as a created being, of course, because Jesus had created him. It wasn't a fair fight. Jesus came back perfect every time. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus, of course, didn't twist the scriptures. But these false teachers twist the scriptures so that they could lure people away. This is what the Apostle Peter is saying. Let me give you just one example, and this is rampant in our culture right now, rampant in a lot of places that would consider themselves churches. I'll give you just, I'll give you just one example. Take time for one example. And you, we need to be discerning on this. This is what the Apostle Peter is saying. I want you to be steadfast, discerning, and know. The Apostle John, this is my example, in his second epistle begins the epistle by saying this. Beloved, I pray that this is the second epistle of the Apostle John, the Epistle of the Apostle. I'll try to say that three times fast. He writes this, Beloved, at the beginning of his letter, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Now, any Bible teacher knows that this was a common greeting in the first century from one brother or sister in Christ to another. It's simply saying, Hey, I hope you're doing really well. I hope every part of you is doing really well. 
It would be as if I greeted you today and I said, I wrote a letter to you. Hey, I trust and hope your family's doing good. You know, hope the job's going good. I hope God's blessing you. Every Bible scholar and Bible teacher knows that this is a common greeting and nothing else. It is not a doctrinal statement. But false teachers have taken this passage. I'm only using this one example. They've taken this and say, see, you should in every respect always prosper and always be in good health in the same way that your soul is prospering. Jesus died so that your soul can prosper, but all of you can prosper. Do you see how, how easy they can twist it? Yet, Paul, I mean, you say, well, we should, we, that, that's great. We should be in health and prosper just as our soul prospers. Every part of our life should prosper. Why am I not prospering? Why, why is every part of me not prospering right now? I must not be living the word of God. No, no, that's taken completely out of context. It is not what it means at all. As a matter of fact, Paul left a comrade sick in one of the cities. And then he told Timothy, take some wine for your common ailments. Well, that's not prospering, is it? <laughs> see, we can see this in just one example of how false teachers will twi twist the scriptures because, you know, they're untaught and they're unstable. We should be the kind of believers. This is my point. We should be the kind of believers, according to the Apostle Peter, that are digging into the scriptures to find out what they mean. Because they do have a meaning, there is an understanding, Evil, easy, <laughs> even if it's not easily understood, and even if I can't say it very easily at the first reading of it, that doesn't mean it can't be understood. It can be. You might have to look into it and read it and search it out and find out what it, what it says and what it means and what it meant in church history and what it meant in the first century and... I'm going to tell you what it meant in the first century is what it meant in the fifth century is what it meant in the 18th is what it means right now. It hasn't changed. There's no new revelation. This is how God has decided to speak. So the Apostle Peter is saying, hey, they distort the scriptures. They're unstable and uh, they're, they're onto their own destruction, which he already mentioned beforehand pretty, pretty eloquently and, and brutally. He's told us of the destruction that awaits these false teachers in graphic, horrific detail. But he goes on to say, now you, therefore, knowing this beforehand, I've already told you this, be on your guard so that you're not carried away with this. And this is why I'm, I'm talking to you so much about the Apostle Peter and, and why, he's, why I'm saying that he's making this very clear to us. He wants us to be on our guard against false teachers. If somebody's teaching something and it sounds too carnally good to be true, it probably is. If the person that you're listening to is pounding their own chest, talking about themselves and obviously materialistic, obviously arrogant and prideful, how could we not see them as a false teacher according to Scripture? If they're calling themselves gods, if they're saying they're controlling the weather, friend, that is a false teacher. And we have to be warned. Some people will say, well, I, you know, we don't need to focus on that. That just brings disunity. The truth always brings division because the truth is, by definition, mutually exclusive. I can't say one truth without pointing out a million lies because if this what I'm saying is true, it makes every other thing false. That would reject it. So, yes, Jesus, this is where Jesus would say, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring division. And there will be fathers against brothers and brothers against mothers and sisters and brothers against, and all that. All that division. Uh, a false unity is not unity. 
And we should disagree when someone says something contrary to Scripture. We don't have to be ugly about it or mean about it at all. But at the same time, we should not roll over and say, well, you know, to each his own. It's your truth. You're creating it. No, it's God's Word, and it matters. He goes on to describe them as unprincipled people, morally corrupt, in other words. He warns us not to be carried away. But instead, we should be alert and discerning. Discernment is critically important. I think it's so missing right now. I mean, you don't have to look at social media or the news to find out there's no discernment. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and wrong. Knowing the difference between truth and error. This is the Apostle Peter's passion. Knowing the difference between what is from Scripture and what is not scriptural at all. We are in an age when every person is sharing their opinion, their ideas about all sorts of things in life, and everybody's a life coach. They're life coaching everybody. But most every opinion you hear is completely saturated with the world's ideas. I saw it on TV earlier. I was watching sports, and one of the coaches of the NFL happened to be on there, and he said, it's a sacred mantle that we wear as coaches in the NFL. Listen to the words of that. I laughed out loud, sitting in my chair. Nobody cared, you know, that I didn't like what he said. Sacred mantle? NFL coach? I mean... I'm sure that being an NFL coach is important. I love watching it. It's influ- He's influential, meaningful, fun at times, but under no uncertain terms would I ever admit or say, or nor it is true in any way that on any planet, anywhere, that being an NFL coach requires one to carry a sacred mantle. So I laughed a little as I listened to that. And I just thought, that's a smaller picture. That's no big deal. That's no big deal. But it is indicative of how much the world just saturates all of our speech and all of our thoughts. And we need to be discerning. We don't just let everything flow through our mind and everything goes. That's not true. We measure it. We take every thought captive that is not obedient to Christ. So to recognize what is true and what is not true, to recognize what is worldly and what is not worldly, this is what it is to be a believer in Christ and especially necessary today because anything goes today. To recognize what is the world's idea of wisdom and what is God's idea of truth. So the Apostle Peter encourages us to be steadfast, which is something he does often. It simply means a firmness, a firm footing. It's the opposite of being Uh, unstable. And then he says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is the entire point of our Christian life, which is to grow. We're learners. We're followers of Jesus. We want to actively grow in him. The reason we lack discernment, the reason we lack holiness, the reason we lack purity, the reason we lack sanctification is because we're not actively growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's true for all of us at any time. If we're not growing in the knowledge and grace of God, We're not growing in those attributes of him and sanctification. We won't grow by just listening to Christian music or by wearing a Christian t-shirt or getting a Christian bumper sticker, obviously. We grow by the word of God. That gives us knowledge of the Lord, which reveals the grace of the Lord. I know that you already know this because you're taking a part in this podcast, which if you didn't like the truth, you wouldn't be listening at all. This is just about teaching the word of God. And this is... Why I do it? Because this is how you grow. You're, uh, you're like that. You, you want that in your life, and you're listening because of that. And uh, 
We want to see Jesus. We want to know him. One day we'll see him and we'll be like him. But right now we see him in his word and we live that out with one another in his church. I was speaking to a woman this week who said she's a Christian and uh, we had we were having a good conversation. Kind lady. She found out, I can't remember how she found out in the conversation that my family and I follow Christ. And in the course of the conversation, I was shocked when she said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Very nonchalant. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I was like, really? I mean, I knew just from being around her that, and this is no judgment, by the way, that she doesn't attend church. She's living with a man, not her husband, and has children by this same man. And I'm not saying that Christ can't save her. But when she said that, I was just so surprised. I I didn't know what to say. What do you say to somebody who says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, and they live however they want? There's no evidence of salvation in their life. There's no discernment whatsoever. I'm saying this because we live in a culture where the lines between Christian and non-Christian are so blurred. Salvation itself is not even clearly defined. It's so often misunderstood. I prayed for her as she was talking, and I said, I was asking the Lord, Lord, would you please give me words of encouragement and help? And I, it would be a tragedy. It would be a tragedy. And I think this is happening by the millions People who think that they're just a Christian by profession, but there's absolutely no evidence in their life that God has redeemed them. But they think that they are saved. This is what the Apostle Peter is talking about. This lack of knowledge, a lack of discernment. I I, I think we live in a culture where most people believe that anyone at any time could be a Christian, live however they want, do whatever they want. Reminds me what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 7. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Here's the question that I have. If they're coming to him and saying, Lord, Lord, how will they know him as Lord, Lord? If they say Lord, that means they must have thought that they knew him. But did they really know him? Do we really know him and are we growing in his grace, and in the knowledge of him. In this passage, the word grow means to advance or increase in our faith, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Because of the grace that he's given us, he's forgiven us, we can now have communion with him, we can grow in our knowledge of him. I like the way the Apostle Peter said it when he said, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Isn't that great? Yearn for the just the milk of the word so that you could grow. So our knowledge grows, our maturity grows, the grace of God grows, and then we're better able to see false doctrines and false teachers. This is the logical uh, kind of reality that the Apostle Peter is setting out. Look, I want you to be safe. I want you to be secure. And the way that you do that is you gain discernment. How do you do that? You grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and you grow in his grace. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says this, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Destruction of fortresses. And this is how we're destroying them. We are are destroying speculations, it says, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. 
and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience, obedience of Christ. So this is the warfare that we're in. It's a warfare in our minds. It's a warfare of ideas. It's a warfare of the knowledge of God. This is how we're fighting this war. We're destroying speculations. That is, false ideas and every lofty thing, any arrogant teaching that is raised up against the true knowledge of God. We're taking thoughts captive. We're fighting this rational war. That's the battle that we're in for the truth, the truth of scriptures, and the, the, the difference that God makes in your life as you grow in knowledge of Him and grace in Him. And how do we stay strong? How do we stay steadfast? Well, we do that by growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can stay strong against false teachers. They become obvious to us. We don't fall into their teaching as we grow in the knowledge of Christ. People who grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ are not easily duped. All right, I've got one more story. I had someone reach out to me this past week. I want to illustrate this. This is so important. And I realize that this is a passion point for all of us who care for people and who want to serve Christ. They reached out to me and they said, hey, hey, Rob, I just wanted you to check out this thing. Is this person a false teacher? They had obviously been listening to uh, the, the podcast. So I looked online at this particular person they were talking about. I wanted to help my friend to see if this person was, in fact, a false teacher or not, or just look through the website and through some of their stuff. I didn't have to read very much or see very much before I knew this person wasn't teaching Christ. Discernment becomes easy and more easy the more you grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It becomes more blatantly obvious. The Apostle Peter wants it to be easy for us, as easy as knowing whether milk is bad, which is pretty easy to find out. And whenever my wife thinks it's bad, she always has me double check. I always say, babe, I trust you. I trust you. You have a good discernment gift when it comes to sour milk. As we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will know something is wrong more quickly. This is what he wants to give to his beloved sisters and brothers in Christ at his last writing. He wants us to know. He, he wants us to know Christ in a way that we'll be strong and we won't be duped by false teachers. We'll, we'll recognize them. And it just so happened the person who reached out to me was, has been a dear friend of mine. They were in our youth ministry many years ago. It was so good to hear from them. And um, it was good to know that they're still following Jesus. And I was so glad to be able to affirm their suspicion that this was a false teacher I'm saying all this because I have a sense that's what the Apostle Peter was doing here in this pastoral loving heart for his brothers and sisters in Christ with his last letter and his last words. He, you know, he was saying, I, I want you to be strong in the Lord and I don't want you to fall for these false teachers. What he wants for us is to live fully for Christ, to look forward to his imminent return that compels us to live holy lives inside and out, and that by living that way, we'd just be fully committed to the Word of God, growing in the grace of God, growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we would gain all discernment and stay so far away from false teachers because they're clearly evident to us. Does that make sense? The Apostle Peter is the ultimate shepherd in this phase of his life. He's been cared for by Jesus. He's learned from Jesus. He failed Jesus. He's been restored by Jesus. And now you can see this completely different person and who he was when he was in ministry with Christ on the earth so many years before, this pastoral epistle comes out of this caring and loving and yearning heart that wants us to be steadfast and true and stable and not easily led astray. This is a shepherd wanting the sheep to be safe and cared for and well-loved and drinking in quiet waters and you know laying down in green pastures and prepared for the return of the master. I mean, all of this. This is the Lord's desire for all of us. My prayer for you 
is that as we've gone through the study of First Peter and now Second Peter, that we would be more enthralled with God's Word. We would be more compelled just by the person of Christ. That we would be in awe of Almighty God and His great salvation. We'd be, I'm going to use the word enraptured, totally consumed by living our lives for Him in such a way that others would see and know Him too. And that in these days of God's patience, while we're anxiously and eagerly anticipating His return, we would be busy about His work in the world. That's the most important work of all. His gospel, His salvation, His eternal life. And so, this is how the Apostle Peter sums up his last words that he writes. And it's so fitting. This is also my goal in teaching through the Scripture. Here's what he says. We'll close with this. This is our prayer. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.